the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. show hasn't been funny in years on SNL podcast. I'm your host, Nick DiGilio. I'm a podcaster, comedy writer, and performer, graduate of Second City, a Saturday Night Live expert and historian. And each week, we will look back at everything SNL. The best, the worst, the good, the bad, the classic, the forgotten. We'll talk about full seasons and full casts. We'll talk about behind-the-scenes stories, episodes, sketches, SNL's historical significance, and much more. And sometimes I'll have guests, sometimes I won't, but with every episode, I will always prove that that tired cliche that you hear all the time, that show hasn't been funny in years, is absolutely wrong. And today's episode, which is uh, episode number 10, uh, I like to call That Time a Seven-Year-Old Hosted SNL. Yes, a seven-year-old hosted SNL. Now, that seven-year-old was Drew Barrymore, but it was a very significant episode for many reasons, and we're going to go through the entire episode. Not only was it significant because a seven-year-old hosted it, which means that uh, she would be up, a seven-year-old would be up in New York City until uh, at, at least 1 a.m., um, but uh, it, it was significant for other reasons. This would be episode, uh, let's see, season eight, episode seven, and it ran November 20th, 1982. Seven-year-old Drew Barrymore was the host, and she was coming still, I mean, still in theaters at that time, of course, was E.T., and she was coming straight off the success of E.T., and uh, Dick Ebersol, who was the producer at the time, thought, man, it would be a really cool, uh, crazy idea to have seven-year-old Drew Barrymore host this late-night comedy show. So, season eight, episode seven, Drew Barrymore is your host, and your musical guest is Squeeze. The only time they've ever, they ever appeared, and there's a, there is, there's, that's notable as well, and we'll tell you why. Uh, there, is a, there is an uncredited uh, uh, cameo by a very famous actor in this uh, episode. We'll get to that a little bit later. Um, and it is, for many reasons, the youngest, it, notable for many reasons. One, it's the youngest host ever, and that still uh, is true. Drew Barrymore was seven years old when she hosted it, uh, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Macaulay Culkin comes in second. He was 12 when he hosted, um, and uh, yeah, so she is still the youngest host ever, uh, and again, I mentioned that there is a cameo, an uncredited cameo by a famous actor. We'll tell you who that is a little bit later. Um, it is the first of six times that Drew Barrymore would be the host, so she is part of the Five Timers Club. By the way, the Five Timers Club uh, will be the topic of a future episode of that show hasn't been funny in years. So make sure you check out that. Um, and it was the second to last show before Eddie Murphy would become a movie star. Uh, let me give you the, the cast rundown. Uh, this was during the Dick Ebersol years. Um, and uh, it was, this was about three years before, two and a half, three years before uh, Lauren Michaels came back. So this was during the Dick Ebersol uh, years. And your cast was Robin Duke, Mary Gross, Brad Hall, Tim Kazaritsky, Gary Kroger, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Eddie Murphy, and Joe Piscopo. Joe Piscopo. 
Uh, and yeah, those were lean years. Uh, the writers weren't all that great. Uh, they tried to change things up. Dick Ebersol wanted to make it so that it was his show and not Lauren's show. So after the Gene Domanian uh, uh, train wreck that was uh, season six, uh, he wanted to completely change it, make it his own. Uh, so he hired a whole bunch of new people, and he was all proud of his discoveries, which would be mostly Joe Piscopo and Eddie Murphy. Uh, there's some talented people in this cast. Uh, actually, most, actually, all of them uh, have talent in some way or another. I mean, Tim Kazerinsky is a local legend here in Chicago, would go on to be a successful screenwriter and an incredibly nice guy and was an unbelievable legend here on stage at Second City. And he's still an incredibly talented dude. And he did some fun stuff on SNL. It wasn't his fault that the writing was ter terrible. Ebersol was a terrible boss. And he was, you know, hampered down by some terrible writing. Uh, you know, Brad Hall was okay. Barry Gary Kruger was okay. Robin Duke had some moments. Mary Gross. I think Mary Gross is, is really a terrific uh, cast member. And Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who didn't really have anything to do but hold props for Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo, as she said before. And we talked about her um, being on the show in an earlier episode. Um, she, of course, would go on to bigger success than any, you know, one of the biggest success stories that any woman has ever had in the world of television. And, you know, she really didn't do much on the show. But Eddie Murphy was your big breakout star. And believe it or not, Joe Piscopo at that time was your second big breakout star. They were the two big guys on the show. And uh, this episode came, it was aired on November 20th, 1982. This was uh, uh, 12 days before 48 Hours would be released in movie theaters. And 48 Hours was the big debut movie that starred Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte, the, the classic Walter Hill action buddy comedy movie. And that's the movie where, she, where he just took off, where Eddie Murphy became a movie star. So it's interesting, and I'll, and I'll talk to you as I play clips and talk about the show as we go through it. Uh, the episode as we go through it, just how much swagger and confidence and how much Eddie Murphy knew by that point that he was the star. He was the reason that people were tuning in. I was in high school at the time uh, and obviously a huge fan of SNL, and I wasn't crazy about the show at that time, but I did think Eddie Murphy was great, and I did think Joe Piscopo was great. And everybody was watching it because of Eddie Murphy, and Eddie Murphy knew that. He was young. He was in his early, he was like 21 or 22 at the time. Uh, barely into his 20s, and he became a megastar on SNL in the late night area. And then a week and a half after this particular episode aired, 48 Hours came out, and the world would change, and he would change, and he knew it. And you can feel it when you're watching this episode. You can feel it. You can see him walk out, how the swagger he had, the times that he would go off script and was allowed to do that because he was Eddie Murphy. It's interesting to watch that. And the big thing about this show, this particular episode that we're going to talk about, besides all of these other things, um, is that this was the show that ultimately ended with Andy Kaufman being banned from Saturday Night Live. Uh, yes, this was that infamous show. And what they did was they had, during the show, a live call-in voting procedure where they put two 900 numbers up on the screen and they invited the audience live to call one of the 900 numbers. And I'll give you the whole background on this uh, as, as, we, as we go along. Uh, but yes, yeah, so for several reasons, this episode, season eight, episode seven, November 20th, 1982, is amazing. Youngest host ever, seven years old. Uh, an incredible cameo. Uh, the only appearance by musical guest Squeeze, the first of six times that Drew Barrymore would host it, and the second to last show that would air before Eddie Murphy became a megastar. And also the show that got 
Andy Kaufman Band from SNL. So let's get started with it, and we'll get, and I'll give you some of the uh, some of the really interesting things that happened. Now, the cold open. Um, you have to understand that Drew Barrymore was only seven when she hosted the show. So the cold open was set up. This was obviously Dick Ebersol's idea. She was straight off of uh, ET. Uh, and it says I'm, uh, I'm reading from an article uh, uh, from from the from uh, from uh, uh, the internet here. It says for Barrymore, who would go on to host SNL several more times, um, it was the first foray that she had into late night comedies, and the idea was that the cast was going to be in a full on revolt. So uh, all of the cast members, uh, Brad Hall and Gary Kroger, Robin Duke, Julia Luria Dreyfus, Eddie Murphy and Tim Kazarinski and Mary Gross and Joe Piscopo all gather in her dressing room, Drew Barrymore's dressing room, and they bitch and moan about the fact that a seven-year-old is going to host it until Drew Barrymore walks on stage. And then they kind of change their, uh, their code. So it's basically the cast saying, oh, my God, she's only seven. We're on late at night. What the hell is she doing? How does Dick Ebersol do this? And they also mention the fact that Dick Ebersol wants to ban Andy Kaufman from the series as well. So they're bitching about the fact that they, that they love Andy Kaufman and Dick Ebersol hates him and that they don't want him on, he doesn't want him on the show anymore. And now he's gone so far as to not only you know, try to get Andy Kaufman kicked off the show, but to have a seven-year-old host it. So that's the setup for the cold open. Here's a little bit of that with um, Drew Barrymore coming in just as the uh, the cast members are bitching and moaning about a seven-year-old hosting the show. There's not enough women's parts as it is. You know, Drew, uh, Drew is seven years old. The show is like eight years old. <laughs> this show's going to be a nightmare. Hey, don't worry about it. No, we're kidding. Okay. I'm glad, you know. Fine, no kidding. <laughs> Ebersol's got to be crazy booking a seven-year-old host this show. So you think he's nuts too, huh? He's got to be nuts to cut Andy Kaufman. <laughs> hey, uh, Mr. Ebersol bought you some more toys. Oh, if it's another stuffed animal, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> Relax, kid. You're going to be just fine tonight. Hey, come on. Can I get you a glass of milk, honey? Milk? I'm a Barrymore. Get me a drink and make it a double. Yeah, so that last joke, not so funny. <laughs> in retrospect, when you look back, seven-year-old Drew Barrymore saying, I'm a Barrymore, get me a drink and make it a double. And about five years later, she was hooked on cocaine and uh, ended up in rehab uh, and wrote a book about it called Little Girl Lost. And that whole joke about being a Barrymore uh, and wanting cocktails, uh, not as funny uh, right now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the stability of, of, of her mental uh, problems and the alcoholism and the drug addiction and stuff like that. Uh, you look back at that now and you're like, Ugh. and to have a seven year old say it at that time, you know, at you know, 1130 at night to have a seven year old from E.T. instead of asking a glass of milk, uh, asking for a cocktail. Of course, you're going to go that route. That's what you want to do. You want to do the edgy late night Saturday material and have a seven-year-old pretend that she wants to have booze. Unfortunately, this seven-year-old was Drew Barrymore, who would go on to have a very 
troubled history and a very troubled struggle with alcohol and drugs uh, and, and you know, live up to the name of Barrymore. So that was, a, that was a little bit of a misguided joke. Now, for most of the show, she is, you know, cuddled by the cast. They really take care of her. I mean, she is seven years old. Tim Kazarinski seems to be kind of the, the uncle that she never had role. Uh, he's always accompanying her. He seems to be in almost every sketch that she's in. As you'll hear in a second here, he comes out and does the monologue with her. Uh, in a bathrobe, uh, which is uh, seemed a little weird, but there's a reason why he's wearing his costume for his first sketch underneath it. But it just seemed weird that Tim Kazarinski would come out with a seven-year-old girl and he'd be in a bathrobe. I don't know. It always it always <laughs> always rubbed me the wrong way. I remember watching this when I was in high school. I remember watching it with my girlfriend at the time, and we were both like, uh, "This is a little. I don't know. It's a little bit weird." But anyway, Tim Kazarinski, you know, clearly was like the uncle. You know, the cuddly uncle and all of the cast members eventually in every sketch and everything. They took care of her. They carried her. They make sure she did well. And she was heavy in the first part of the show. Maybe they had her go take a nap because she was gone from update. Well, which is called Saturday Night News at that time during the Dick Ebersol era. It was not called Weekend Update. It was called Saturday Night News because Dick Ebersol wanted to separate himself from Lauren Michaels and make it his own. So we called it Saturday Night News. And your anchor, of course, was Brad Hall. Not very good. But anyway... Uh, so she was heavy in the first few sketches in the first part of the show and then gone for a long time until the very end when they brought her back out. And while she was on stage, she was totally taken care of by, by the cast that was there. And she did a good job. I mean, she was seven years old. I mean, she came out. She delivered those lines in that cold open pretty well. Um, she read off the cue cards and did really well. She's done better than some 40 and 35-year-old hosts have done, January Jones. So anyway, um, <laughs> let me continue this is the opening monologue. This is when Drew came out, and she comes out with Tim Kazarinski, the cast member, and they're going to do like a Q&A with the audience, and he has postcards. He has some, uh, some cards that, are, that have questions from the audience on them. And so this is Drew Barrymore with Tim Kazarinski during her monologue in 1982. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm Drew Barrymore. All right. Okay, now. First thing that Drew asked when she got here was that if uh, you know, she'd get out of doing the monologue. Uh, so she wanted, uh, like Carol Burnett, if uh, we can collect some, uh, aud- <coughs> pardon me, some questions from the studio audience. So that's what we did. And I got them here. Don't peek, <laughs> little cheater. Okay. Okay, now, what did you think of E.T.? Well, when you first saw him. At first I thought he was gushy, then I got used to him. <laughs> Well, what do you think of him now? I, th- I think he's one of my best friends. Ah. Uh, you're video games. You like video games. Don't look. Stop it. You like video games. I love video games. If I have time of off and someone says I can go arcade, I say, terrific. Anytime. <laughs> That's all I like. Play hard to get. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay, what's your favorite video game? Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man. Ooh, all right. Uh, well, how do you like spending a lot of time with grown-ups? Well... I feel the same way. Well, at first, if my mom goes out to dinner and she brings her friends along like a growing up she starts talking to them and leaves me out. That's... And then I feel left out, so I have to sit and eat my dinner. <laughs> Okay, so you see what they're trying to do there, and Tim Kazarinski's trying to take care of her, and Tim Kazarinski goes up on his lines twice there, I'd like to say, and Drew Barrymore doesn't. <laughs> now, I don't know if, if Tim Kazarinski was thrown by the fact that he's out on stage live, you know, at 11.30 at night with a seven-year-old girl trying to do the opening of the show, and he kind of screws up a few things, but she did better than he did. 
<laughs> which I thought was kind of interesting. And then eventually he brings out the monkey, the the monkey that he always did the recurring sketch with during those years. I married a monkey. They would have him come out with this chimpanzee, and and you know uh, Tim Pazirinsky. That became a running joke. Him and the chimpanzee so at the end of the sketch they bring out or the end of the monologue he brings out the monkey and everybody goes oh look it's cute it's a seven-year-old from et and a monkey hey so that's a safe thing to do so uh that's how they got through uh the um the opening monologue now i'm playing this next thing uh because it's the it's right out of the monologue they do a fake commercial and it's for a burglar uh commercial it's like a burglar alarm commercial um, it's not particularly clever, and it's not very visual. You can actually there's, there are a few visual things that are happening, but you can get it. You can get the gist of the bit from um, from the voiceover. But I wanted to play this. This is right after the monologue, right after the monkey comes out and Drew Barrymore, and they say we'll be right back after this, and blah blah blah. Um, so this is a this is a burglar alarm commercial, and this is from 1982. And I just wanted to play this because of the name of the fake product. So here's the, the fake commercial that uh, happened after the month. It's a beautiful summer night. A perfect night for a burglary. This man is a thief. But now you can stop him before he steals your valuables. Before he threatens your family security. Now you can stop that burglar, and this is important, before he can get out of his own house. <laughs> Thanks to The Web by Centronics. Remember, he won't get into your house if he can't get out of his. Uh, so I just wanted to play that because the product is called The Web. And I don't know, for some reason, that, like, really made me laugh. Uh, like, here is 1982, and in the, in the monologue, you know, the previous bit before this commercial, fake commercial, they talk about video games. And this was 1982. I was in high school at this time. And the big video games, obviously, were Pac-Man and, you know, and that kind of stuff. And, um, and so when Drew Barrymore talks about how much she loves Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man, that gives you the exact time period <laughs> where this took place. And you know the kind of technology that was happening. You know what I mean? That was that was the cutting edge of technology was Pac-Man. Um, and for this next sketch to be about a burglar alarm and the idea, you can see the burglar leaving his own house. He's going to go and rob somebody. He's leaving his own house and he opens up the door of his own front door and the alarm goes off and he closes the door and goes back in. That's the joke. Oh, he can't leave his house because the alarm, you know, it'll stop the burglar. But I love the fact that the product is called the web. I just wanted to play that because like, yeah, hey, in one second, they're talking about cutting tech, you know, uh, cutting edge technology, Pac-Man. And then the next bit is about technology and it's called the web. I don't know. Anyway, that's I just wanted to play that. OK, so the first big sketch that they do is, of course, an E.T. sketch. Now, at this time, if you weren't around in November of 1982, uh, E.T. came out in the summer of 1982. And you know this if you were around, even if you weren't around, E.T. is one of the biggest movies of all time. It was a worldwide phenomenon. Everybody saw it. Kids, families of all ages, people were going back into the theater and seeing it repeatedly and over and over again. And that Christmas, E.T. dolls and E.T. products and E.T. this and E.T. that were huge for the holidays and huge for Christmas. Uh, Reese's Pieces were flying off the shelves. Obviously, you know. But in 1982, if you go back in time when you're not playing Pac-Man, you were talking about E.T. And E.T. was the biggest thing ever, which, again, is why... Ebersol wanted her to be uh, on the show. But of course, they're going to do right out of the gate an E.T. sketch. And in the sketch, uh, Tim Kazarinsky plays uh, Elliot. 
Gary Kroger uh, plays the older brother. Um, and uh, obviously, um, Drew Barrymore plays her regular part. And uh, Mary Gross plays Dee Wallace. And there is a special uh, character that they bring in. So it is an unremarkable sketch about E.T. You're supposed to laugh because Tim Kazarinski is an old dude playing Elliot. And Gary Kroger is playing the brother. And blah, blah, blah. And they do you know variations on certain lines from it. But the idea was uh, because in 1982... Uh, about four months before this episode aired, Rocky two, I'm sorry, Rocky three came out, and Rocky three was the one where Mr. T played Clubber Lang, and that's when Mr. T took off. It was before the A Team, it was before WrestleMania and all that stuff, but that was when everybody was like, "Oh my God, Mr. T, he's the he's he's the best," and so that gave an excuse to combine E T with Mr. T, and it gave an excuse for the very very. Um, the very, very confident, very, very cocky Eddie Murphy to do his uh, Mr. T uh, impression in the E.T. sketch. So here is the E.T. sketch that they did where they combined Mr. T and E.T. Well, I seem pretty upset, Gertie. Why would you do something like that? Well... Who is it? Open the door, it's me. Yes, I'll break it down. But who is it? I pity a fool and don't know who this is. <laughs> Mr. T. That's right. It's Mr. T. And I come in and fetch my boy, E. But, but E.T. was from outer space. Where the hell you think I come from, Orange County? I'm afraid there's been an accident, Mr. T. I'm afraid my little girl, Gertie, has killed your son. I pity the fool that did that. I pity the man. I pity the little girl that did that. That was a terrible thing to do. Where'd you put him? We put him in the freezer. What'd you put him in the freezer for? Well, I think the boys did that so that he wouldn't spoil. My boy, E.T. wouldn't spoil. He's not spoiled. Who said it's spoiled? I pity the fool who said it's spoiled. You know how much money E.T. was making? Huh? He ain't spoiled. I am. I was staying around with Rocky Balboa, but I stopped making money. I should have been with E.T. with Steven Spielberg. That's where the money is. It's a shame. Too bad you had to go and kill him, Gertie. Too bad I killed him. Sorry, Mr. T. Very good. <laughs> he ain't dead yet. I pity the freezer. So that's so you can hear Eddie Murphy break character and go very good uh, because she got the line out. Um, and uh, so that was it. Eddie Murphy was in full regalia. He had the mohawk and all the gold chains and all that stuff. And it was a very funny ET. And again, Eddie Murphy at that time was the rock star. You could hear the crowd just go nuts anytime the guy said a line. And it's true with this episode and pretty much every episode around that. And, uh, and it was interesting to see the swagger that he had when he went on stage. And the bit's not very funny, although when he says, I come to pick up my boy, E, that's kind of funny. Uh, and Eddie Murphy, again, bringing a lot to it. And, uh, and so, you know, there's your E.T. sketch. Combine it with Mr. T. Timely, I guess. Edgy. All right. And it was about making money. Okay. And again, uh, to see the confidence on stage that Eddie Murphy had. And again, this was about 12 days before 48 hours hit the screen and he would be a massive movie star. Now, uh, the next bit I'm going to play is about the Andy Kaufman thing. Now, um, this will be the first time that you will hear this whole thing set up. And the whole thing meaning that they did a call-in live during the show 
to, to see if viewers wanted to keep Andy Kaufman as part of the show or get rid of him. Um, and, um, you know, he wasn't really a stand-up comedian. He was quoted once as saying, I'm not a comic. I've never told a joke. He said, um, the comedian's promise is that you will go out there and, and make you laugh. And I, and, and I promise that I will entertain you the best I can, is what he would say. He was never, you know, a stand-up. Um, and uh, his parents would say stuff like, why don't you come out and play? And he'd say, I'm putting on my shows. So when he was a kid, he was always alone in his room and doing characters. And we all know the kind of stuff that he did on SNL. Now, he appeared on the very first episode of Saturday Night Live. Andy Kaufman was a staple on the show. Um, he appeared 16 times total on SNL. They get it wrong. You'll hear it a little bit later on, but they get it wrong. He appeared 16 times. His first show was the episode, the, the debut episode, October 11th, 1975. Um, and he would appear 16 times in just eight years, not over the course of a long time. So, you know, Lauren loved him. Lauren Michaels loved him. He came on. He would do his, you know, the, the iconic moments, including the Mighty Mouse sing-along. He would do Foreign Man. Um, he would do a lot of things. And then it got to the point where he would kind of do things that would make people angry. Like he'd come out and he'd read from The Great Gatsby, or he would, um, he would do an English-accented persona that was more annoying where he made fun of the audience. Uh, and then eventually it got to the point where he was doing the intergender wrestling thing. And, uh, and by this point, this is when Dick Ebersol had taken over and Andy Kaufman was doing the whole wrestling thing. And if you remember correctly... Um, that, you know, the, the stuff that Andy Kaufman wasn't, you know, was not normal. He would come out and do weird shit, and then he'd bust into, as you know, a magnificent Elvis Presley impersonation or something like that. He was not a stand-up comedian. He was a conceptual artist. He was, you know, a, a, a concept artist. There's no question about it. And the kind of he, stuff he did was challenging to the audience. Sometimes it was really weird, and sometimes it was off-putting. It sometimes made everybody in the room feel uncomfortable, and he loved that. Uh, you all know about Andy Kaufman. Uh, you know you know the legends. You know the stories. If you have not seen the Milos Forman film with Jim Carrey, Man on the Moon, you should because it's really terrific. And it really explains what a very weird and very conceptual and artistic guy Andy Kaufman was. He was not your regular stand-up, set-up, punchline kind of guy at all. And the stuff that he did was fucking weird and off-putting and sometimes very uncomfortable. And by the time he was obsessed with pro wrestling and was actually doing it with Jerry Lawler uh, as part of, you know, real pro wrestling, uh, he would go on shows, on talk shows, and make all the, the weird appearances that he did. But he got to the point where he was obsessed with the intergender pro wrestling, where he'd bring a woman up on stage in a ring and wrestle her and win and beat her, and then be the most obnoxious heel villain you could possibly imagine. The women were plants, you know, they all worked for him. Um, and it got to the point where he would do all these wrestling things, and it was annoying. People hated it. Audiences didn't like it. They didn't understand it, uh, especially like people who weren't wrestling fans. I, however, loved Andy Kaufman. I loved his conceptual comedy. I thought he was and still is, and what all the stuff that he did was brilliant. I love Andy Kaufman and all the crazy challenging, absurd, batshit nut stuff that he did that pissed everybody off. I loved it, and I am also a huge pro wrestling fan. So when he combined his weirdness to the world of pro wrestling, I loved it. But 90% of the people who watched it and 90% of the people in the audience were pissed off, they were angry, and they got to the point where they hated him. Now, one of the people that hated him was Dick Ebersol, was the guy in charge of the show. He hated him for several reasons. He didn't think the intergender stuff was funny. He never understood the conceptual stuff that Andy Kaufman was doing. He was not a fan. He did not get it. Dick Ebersol did not get it. He also didn't like Andy Kaufman because Andy Kaufman was Lorne Michaels' dude. 
Lauren Michaels brought Andy Kaufman in. He was kind of a discovery of Lauren Michaels. So Andy Kaufman was very closely associated with the Lauren Michaels world of SNL, and Dick Eppersall wanted to erase that, or at least most of it. So he hated Andy Kaufman and wanted him banned from SNL forever because the last time he was on, he did the woman's intergender wrestling thing, and it pissed off Ebersol, and it went, you know, it got booed by the audience, and he never wanted to have him on again. But the cast, the writers, all the behind-the-scenes people at SNL were like, you can't get rid of Andy Kaufman. Uh, most of the people in the cast love Andy Kaufman, as most stand-up, as most performers and most, you know, uh, cast, member, cast members and comedians and actors and actresses did. They loved Andy Kaufman. He was a comedian's comedian, obviously. And so they were like, you can't just ban Andy Kaufman. So he's like, okay, well, let's turn it into a bit. He called up Kaufman and said, here's the idea. I want to do a bit where we have people call in, audience members call in while they're watching the show and vote on whether or not you will get booted from the show forever. And then whatever the results are, we'll abide by that. And Dick Ebersol was serious about it. Andy Kaufman was like, okay, yeah, this sounds like a great bit. It'll see how many, you know, how many people will be annoyed by me and blah, blah, blah. But you know, you'll see as the, as the show went on uh, how it turned out. But Ebersol's idea was he never wanted Andy Kaufman on. He didn't like him. And the cast and the writers and the people behind the scenes said, you can't get rid of Andy Kaufman. Let's at least do a bit out of it. So this is the first time they bring it up during the show. And this is the only time they've ever done anything like this on the show. So in addition to having a seven-year-old hosted, in addition to Eddie Murphy on the verge of becoming a megastar, the big thing on this show was let's vote for whether or not we're going to kick Andy Kaufman off of SNL forever. Gary Kroger came out, and here's the first time they mention it. Thank you. I'm blushing, thank you, but that's not the reason I'm here tonight. Tonight, you people at home are going to have the opportunity to participate in a unique television event. For tonight, you will decide whether one man will ever appear on this show again. <laughs> that man is Andy Kaufman. As many of you may remember, Dick Ebersol, the executive producer of Saturday Night Live, came on this show last week and said that Kaufman's material was no longer up to this show's standards. He said that Andy Kaufman is not funny anymore. Well, a lot of us here, please, a lot of us here at Saturday Night Live, including myself, think that Andy Kaufman is funny and that he should appear on Saturday Night Live again. All right, please. This is what we're going to do. We're going to let you folks at home be the ones to decide whether Andy will ever be seen on this show again. Now, please listen very carefully to me now. NBC has set up two special phone numbers so that you can call in and vote. Now, if you're like me and you want to see Andy Kaufman on Saturday Night Live, dial 1-900-720-4101. That's 1-900-720-4101. Now, if you never want to see Andy Kaufman on this show, dial 1-900-720-4202. That's 1-900-720-4202. Now, during the next hour, we're going to be counting this vote, these votes. And I want you to remember that this show is live. It's Saturday night, and we're doing this for real. Andy Kaufman's career at Saturday Night Live is in your hands. <laughs> now, I happen to think that Andy Kaufman is a comedic genius. Now, if you agree with me, call 1-900-720-4101. However, if you think Andy is not funny anymore, 
if you've seen enough of, of, of his wrestling women, the Mighty Mouse bits, the phony injuries, the stupid, unfunny hoaxes, if you've had enough of this loudmouth, call 1-900-720-4202. You can call as many times as, you, as you'd like, but remember, each call is going to cost you 50 cents. That's the way the phone company works. But remember, a man's career at Saturday Night Live is on the line. We're very serious, so if you're a Kaufman fan like me, you want to see him on the show, 1-900-720-4101. But if you hate his guts and you want to see his career here flush down the toilet, call 1-900-720-4202. Call now. You've got an hour. Andy Kaufman's fate is in your hands. So uh, you will see... Okay, so that's the setup, and they do it uh, uh, live. Those phone lines were open for the entire rest of the show, and this was there was still an hour of the show left. Um, and so for a full hour, a little bit more than an hour, they were taking phone calls. I personally called four times. I called four times, and yes, it was 50 cents a call. Remember those days, 900 numbers when you were charged 50 cents? So I voted four times for, of course, Andy Kaufman to stay. Uh, and you'll see what happens. So this bit continues throughout the entire show. As we move on, Drew Barrymore, again, uh, is in the next sketch. And uh, this is when uh, they bring out one of the, uh, the recurring favorite characters of that era. And those are the whiners. Uh, this was Robin Duke and Joe Piscopo. And uh, in this, Mary Gross plays a nun trying to get Drew Barrymore, who is a, a brat child, adopted. And so they had to bring out the whiners. I wanted to play this. This, if you're thinking of classic uh, characters <laughs> from this time period, this is about as classic as it got back in 1982. These are the whiners. Who in the world would want to adopt Wanda? <laughs> So those were classic characters from that time period. <laughs> and, uh, and Drew Barrymore got to say, I'm going to be a whiner. And so that's how dry a period it was when the whiners were considered classic characters. I just wanted to play that. So in it, seven-year-old Drew Barrymore got to be a whiner. All right. Here is the next segment about the Andy Kaufman voting situation. And this starts out as a man on the street bit that was filmed on the streets of New York. And this is when the cameo takes place. The uncredited cameo by a big-time actor. He's in this Man on the Streets thing. And the Man on the Streets segment leads into Eddie Murphy uh, telling you how to vote to keep or get rid of Andy Kaufman. By the way, Eddie Murphy, backwards baseball cap, shirtless with like a, a, a jacket on, but just standing there shirtless, pushing the swagger, pushing the shirtless 20, you know, like very freshly 22-year-old swag out there, knowing that next week he's going to be the biggest movie star in the world. Uh, so he comes out after the man on the street thing and, uh, and, and does the next Andy Kaufman. Do you think Andy Kaufman should be allowed on Saturday Night Live? I think he should be on Saturday Night Live again because he thrills me. He's adorable. 
like the man is completely void of any talent and has made a career of making a fool of himself. I used to like him until he started that whole thing about having a wrestling match with any woman and beating them, and then I, I thought that was kind of tasteless. I love Kaufman. I think I'd do his wrestling bit a few more times. He's sick. He's great. He's wonderful. Andy Kaufman's a jerk. <laughs> I, I like him. I think that he should be back on Saturday Night Live again. My answer would be no. <laughs> I think he's funny, but I think he's obnoxious. I don't understand him. Well, I think he's okay. I think he's got a good, a nice delivery. I think he's really hot. He's a hard-working comedian. He tries hard. I never want to see his face on TV again. Uh, this is how you people have voted so far. It's Keep Andy, 38,945. And Dump Andy is 48. Um, last year, I asked the people to call in and, and save Larry the Lobster from being boiled alive. <laughs> now, the response to that was overwhelming, and tonight I'm asking you to vote to save a human being. Okay, now, isn't Andy Kaufman worth as much as a lobster? You know, I mean, I think so. What do we have to do? Get Andy out here and boil him alive to make your vote? <laughs> people are sick <laughs> really now to vote this is what you have to do if you want to keep Andy on the show you have to call 1-900-720-4101 that number again is 1-900-720-4101 now if you never want to see Andy's white behind on the show again call 1-900-720-4202 now Andy Kaufman is a friend of mine keep that in mind when you call I don't have to punch nobody in America in the face now, the phone company is going to charge you 50 cents for each call but don't you think Andy Kaufman is worth 50 cents? so uh, that's the deal and by the way during that man on the street the person who says my answer would be no was Ed Asner uh, with a mustache, and Ed Asner was in New York filming the Sidney Lumet movie Daniel with Timothy Hutton. So he was in town filming Daniel, and they grabbed him and said, hey, do you have an opinion on... They saw him on the street, and they were like, hey, do you have an opinion on E. Kaufman? And uh, he said, yeah. And so they filmed it, and so that's Ed Asner. Just pops up in the middle of... Those were all regular people, New Yorkers, talking man on the street, not celebrities, and all of a sudden, right in the middle of it, there's Ed Asner with a fedora and a mustache saying, my answer is no. So Ed Asner makes an uncredited cameo in this episode as well, Voting to kick Andy Kaufman off of the show. Uh, and again, you hear the people responding to every move and everything that Eddie Murphy made. It's one of the things that stands out when you watch these episodes from that Ebersol time period. Just how much people loved Eddie Murphy. And, delight, and rightfully so. There wasn't a whole lot of other stuff on that show to go for. I mean, if people are laughing hysterically at the whiners, then of course somebody with an extraordinarily amount of, you know, extraordinary amount of talent like Eddie Murphy is going to get big laughs. So, uh, And then after that was Weekend Update, which of course at that time was called Saturday Night News. Brad Hall was the... Uh, was the was the anchor on the Saturday Night Lose News? They did some Nixon jokes, even though it was 1982. They did some dead fiance jokes. Kazarinsky came out and did a tribute to journalism where they ripped apart Muford Murdoch in the New York Times. Actually, a pretty funny bit where they held up actual headlines from the New York Times about how stupid they were. A lot of Reagan jokes being old because it was 1982, and at that time, hey, we hear those again now. Joe Biden's in office. Every late night show, every night, does at least four or five jokes about Joe Biden being old. That, you know, they were doing that constantly 
uh, on uh, in 1982 when Reagan was uh, was was president. Uh, and then there were docudrama jokes. Uh, there was also a weird Jim Neighbors Rock Hudson joke uh, that was told. This was 1982. Jim Neighbors and Rock Hudson uh, uh, jokes. So there was a lot of weird sexual innuendo jokes on it. And then Joe Piscopo shows up on uh, on Saturday Night News with his Saturday Night Sports Live, which is basically that's all he does. Look at this. It's a foot. It's a basketball player. He he dribbled the ball. Joe Piscopo. And that was the extent of the comedy was him doing that voice. And I remember people loving it and the crowd loving it. Uh, so that was that. And then the next sketch was, again, and at this point, Drew Barrymore has been off stage. She's been off stage, has not been on all through Weekend Update uh, or Saturday Night News, um, which is a very long segment. She's backstage napping, I think. Then they do a personal dating thing where uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus and Tim Kazarinski are out on a date. And she says, well, I don't know. I'm not really crazy about how this date's going. Uh, I don't know. And he says, what did you expect? Brain surgery? And she's like, yeah, brain surgery is what I expected. And then suddenly the restaurant turns into uh, an operating room. and Eddie Murphy comes out. Uh, and Brad Hall comes out, and they bring out a guy on a gurney, and they do brain surgery, and she kills the guy. That's the joke. The joke is that, and 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 again, Eddie Murphy comes out, goes off book a couple of times, goes off off text, and yells at, at Julia Louis Dreyfus, and gets a laugh from the audience. And then after that, Mary Gross comes out, and we continue with the Andy Kaufman voting. So here's how it's going. Again, this is all happening live in real time. People are calling and people are voting. And these are the results as they come in. This was as the show was going on. So this is Mary Gross. As you know, we've been asking you viewers out there to decide if Andy Kaufman should ever appear on Saturday Night Live again. Here's how you voted so far. Keep Andy, 105,316. Dump Andy. 134,691. Uh-oh, time to boil the water. <laughs> I want to remind everyone that we're serious about this. If you want to see Andy Kaufman on the show again, dial 1-900-720-4101. If you never want to see Andy Kaufman on the show again, dial 1-900-720-4202. That's 1-900-720-4202. Remember, you can call as often as you like. I'd like to take a moment to talk to you about the man whose fate is in your hands tonight, Andy Kaufman. Andy appeared on the very first Saturday Night Live back in 1975. Since then, he's been on the show more than any other guest, 14 times. Remember the time he made us sing Old MacDonald? And read at length from The Great Gatsby. can we forget his many tributes to Elvis? <laughs> and then he surprised us all by wrestling women. Not once, but three times. And won all three matches. Then he wrestled a man. 
now and vote to keep Andy Kaufman on Saturday Night Live. I'm sure Andy would be the first to say, thank you very much. So if you want to see Andy Kaufman back on this show again, dial 1-900-720-4101. If you never want to see him again, dial 1-900-720-4202. Now the phone company is going to charge you 50 cents for each call, but don't you think Andy's worth it? Call now and call often. Thank you very much. So Mary Gross doing her job by uh, trying to make the dump him phone line indescribable, like you couldn't, you know, indecipherable. So she said it as fast as she could, even though she was supposed to say it. And uh, and by the way, the people who were coming out here, like Eddie Murphy saying, hey, I don't have to punch somebody in the face, or Gary Kroger saying, I think he's a comedic genius, or Mary Gross pur- purposely saying the number fast so you couldn't understand it. They really felt that way. You have to understand that backstage and, you know, behind the scenes, every single cast member on SNL and most of the writing staff, probably all of the writing staff, most of the writing staff for sure didn't want this to happen they did not want Andy Kaufman banned from the show uh they thought it was an idiotic idea and Dick Ebersol didn't like him and wanted him off the show and whatever happened they were going to abide by what happened so however the audience voted that's what they were going to do but the cast hated it and so all of these cast members who are coming out and saying that they want you know uh, uh Andy Kaufman to stay that's sincere they really really liked him and they hated that Dick Ebersol wanted to get rid of him so uh, and it continued. All right. And the next bit I want to play, this is where, it, this is where uh, it's like a high school uh, theater troupe. They're in high school. And they're rehearsing Oklahoma is the next sketch. And uh, Joe Piscopo has a bald cap on. He's playing like an eccentric, uh, weird um, theater uh, teacher slash director of a bunch of high schoolers. And the reason I'm going to play this back is um, he's Mr. Blunt is his character. And they did the character a few times where he's kind of this over-the-top you know, a theater director in a high school gym, and they're putting on a production of Oklahoma. And the reason I want to play this is because uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is in this sketch, as in, you know, half of the, half of the cast is in. Uh, and then Eddie Murphy comes in, says four lines, one of them being incredibly homophobic, which was very funny in 1982, apparently, incredibly homophobic, and walks out and then adds a line at the end as he's walking out because he's Eddie Murphy uh, and gets a huge laugh for the homophobic line he throws out. But I wanted to play this because Julia Louis-Dreyfus seems to be doing... Leah Michelle from Glee, you know, 40 years before Leah Michelle from Glee actually did Leah Michelle from Glee. So I just wanted to play this. This is, you know, Le- you know Julie Louis Dreyfus playing the spoiled, very theater, you know, musical theater bound uh, teenage girl, the obnoxious, like butt kissing, you know, uh, theater girl. And, uh, and I just wanted to play it because, like, every, as soon as I watched this and I watched it back, I'm like, wow, maybe Leah Michelle watched Julie Louis Dreyfus do this. Or maybe, you know, because, you know, Leah Michelle, you know, is a Broadway baby, in fact, grew up in New York and was on Broadway at a very young age. Uh, maybe they showed it to her and said, hey, look, this is Julia Louis Dreyfus doing your character that we want you to do in Glee. So anyway, this is an Oklahoma high school theater rehearsal. The director here playing the director is Joe Piscopo. And Julia Louis Dreyfus is basically doing Leah Michelle from Glee. And I just wanted to play this because I found it amusing. Can I say something, Mr. Blunt? Oh, what is it, Debbie? Well, certain people in this production are just here to fool around. Plus, certain people still don't know their lines. Plus, certain people didn't help with the costumes, even though they are on the costume committee, which I am not, and still have more lines than anybody else, but still sewed seven farmer girl skirts. Oh, shut up, Debbie. (laughs) Now, come on, do your number with Jeff here. Come on, kids, let's go. Come on, come on. 
don't praise my charm too much. Don't look so vain with me. Not, not, Debbie, what the hell are you doing? You're supposed to be making love to the lad. You're standing there like a sack of potatoes. Now okay, so that's uh, Joe Piscopo doing the over-the-top theater director uh, and throwing in as many, hopefully, quote-unquote, this will be a catchphrase next week. It didn't work. But I wanted to play that because I love Julia Louis-Dreyfus' character in it. She was really, really funny. She only had like four or five lines in the entire sketch. But she's really funny. And, uh, and clearly, uh, you know, we know those characters, but this was kind of the first time I saw the Leah Michelle character from Glee. So there you go. All right. Uh, and the voting continued, and the show was running late. So Joe Piscopo's segment, which was supposed to be as long as Mary Gross's and as long as Kroger and, uh, and as Eddie Murphy's, uh, got cut short because they were running very, very late. And so here's Joe Piscopo appealing to people about the Andy Kaufman voting. And this clearly indicates how late the show was running. Hi, we're running short of time. Just want to remind you, you got two minutes left to decide whether Andy Kaufman will ever be allowed on this show again. It'll cost you 50 cents. The results are real close, but call now. We'll have the results in a few minutes, okay? That's how quick they had to go. That's how far they were running behind. <laughs> but again, it was still happening. And I believe that's the last time I voted. I believe the fourth time I voted was after Piscopo. Uh, and then um, the musical guest uh, comes out for their second performance. And it was unusual um, because the first time they were introduced by um, Don Pardo, and normally they're introduced by the, by, the, by the guest, by the host. And again, this whole time, all of this stuff is happening. Drew Barrymore not to be seen. Again, I believe napping in back. Seven-year-old Drew Barrymore getting a nap. Anyway, Squeeze comes in for their, for their second performance. And they just start talking. Glenn Tilbrook, uh, and this never really happens, Glenn Tilbrook quietly just talks a little bit and then introduces them. And, uh, and you'll hear what happens here. This is Squeeze's second musical performance on uh, episode eight. I'm sorry, on uh, season eight, episode seven. <laughs> band here i'd like to take the opportunity to thank everyone for the support they've given us over the last four or five years that we've been coming here thanks very much and we'd like to rip another thread from rock's rich tapestry by playing pulling muscles from a shell Total jam. Anyway, so they, they were great. Both songs were great. I mean, Pulling Muscles from Michelle, you can't go wrong with that. But I'd never, you know, you very rarely, in the early days, they were kind of loose about it. But by this point, it was band does not talk, you know, guest introduces them or host introduces them. But then there's Glenn Tilbrook thanking America for making them successful. And that'd be the only time they would ever play on SNL. But I thought it was kind of unusual uh, that Glenn Tilbrook did the thing. Then I guess uh, Robin Duke uh, went backstage and woke up Drew Barrymore because they bring her out and they're sitting on the stage together. And she does a bit where uh, she talks, Robin Duke with Drew Barrymore uh, on her lap, talks about how she's in her 30s and she doesn't have a baby yet, doesn't have a kid. Um, and so that's a bit. And then the show ends. So now we are at good nights. And this is when the final vote is announced. So during this whole show, the 900 numbers have been out there. You heard all of the times that they were plugged by the cast members. This is the good nights from that show. Drew Barrymore is on stage being held, of course, by Tim Kazarinski, surrounded by the entire cast. And Kroger, who introduced the entire voting procedure bit, is on there, too. And uh, this is good nights and the final Andy Kaufman decision 
live on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, the moment of truth has arrived. But before I give you the final tally, I want to thank everyone for calling. And I want to apologize to all of you who tried to get through but couldn't. That's just but the way the phone company works sometimes. The final tally. To keep Andy, ladies and gentlemen, 169,186 votes. To dump Andy, one... 144. Sorry, Andy, you'll never be on Saturday Night Live again. What can I say? Drew, Drew, do you have anything to say? I want to say that I had an absolutely wonderful time, and I love you all. Goodbye. So it's just so it's so weird. The whole concept is weird. The fact that they did the whole Andy Kaufman thing, the fact that seven year old Drew Barrymore is the host. It's just such a surreal episode. The mood of it was strange. Uh, and and then and and by the way, uh, it held true. Uh, Andy Kaufman, Dick Ebersol said, OK, the audience voted for it. I am right. Andy Kaufman should not be on this show ever again. And Andy Kaufman uh, played the bit. He continued the bit. Um, he would spend money uh, to buy local time on NBC affiliates throughout the country, like in Des Moines and Macon and Omaha and a couple of other places. And he'd get on television at the local stations, the, the local NBC affiliates, and beg people you know, to please let him come back to, to Saturday Night Live. And it's unfair. And he wants to come back. And he spent a bunch of his own money. And this was part of the gag. It was part of the, of the shtick. And it did, in fact, continue because on December 11th, 1982, which, by the way, is the week that 48 hours opened uh brad hall during saturday night news slash weekend update continued the bit by uh referring to um uh, uh referring to andy kaufman as semi-retired comedian andy kaufman uh and then saying that he bought ads for local affiliates and that he owes nbc eighty thousand dollars so that was the bit it's like oh semi-retired andy kaufman blah 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 remember a couple of weeks ago when we kicked him off the show forever now he's eighty thousand dollars in debt to nbc and he'll never be on the show again so they continued the bit andy kaufman continued the bit but in reality andy kaufman was devastated by this and he was really really deeply saddened by it um and he never really got over it and i don't know whether or not he would have ended up back on saturday night live he probably would have unfortunately six months after this whole thing happened he was diagnosed with cancer um, and, uh, you know, it was lung cancer. It was a very f- rare, rare form of lung cancer. And we all know he died. He died at the, the, the age of 35. He died in May of 1984. So it was very, he was, he was diagnosed, uh, and he diagnosed with the lung cancer and he died less than a year later. So a year and a half after they pulled this stunt on SNL, Andy Kaufman would be dead. And in that year and a half, he never made another appearance on Saturday Night Live where he was a favorite, where he was a legend. And he never got to be on Saturday Night Live again uh, because cancer took him from us at the age of 35. And, and he played along with the bit, the whole, well, you called, you voted me off bit. But he never really, uh, he never got over it. He was very, very sad about it and never got a chance to be back on Saturday Night Live. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Dick Ebersol wanted him gone. And so they made a bit out of it. And the bit backfired, I guess, for Andy Kaufman fans because evidently of the people that voted, the majority of those people hated Andy Kaufman. He pissed off a lot of people. So 
There you go. A very interesting episode from a seven-year-old hosting to Ed Asner making an uncredited cameo to the musical guest just chatting uh, to uh, this being the first time that Drew Barrymore hosted and she would host five more times. And again, it was right before Eddie Murphy became the biggest movie star uh, on the planet. All of that stuff combined for a very interesting, very weird episode, and it all tied together with one of the weirdest stunts they ever pulled in SNL history, uh, making sure that a comedic genius never showed up on the show again. So anyway, and again, it's out there. You can find it. You got your peacocks. You got your YouTubes. You can find uh, some at least clips of it or parts of it all over the place. It is season eight, episode seven. It aired on November 20th, 1982. Drew Barrymore was your host. Squeeze was your musical guest. And uh, it was all part of um, Saturday Night Live. So there you go. All right. My thanks to everybody uh, for listening, for subscribing. You got comments or suggestions? 773-417-6948. Send me an email, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. My thanks to Jason Skaggs, who does all the music. And my thanks to Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits. And we'll see you next time on That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years. SNL podcast. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow.